This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. This is getting complicated. Let me welcome a lawyer in. She's got a a whole ass law degree, Esquire. Uh, She also is the CEO of Center for Employment Justice, former 2020 congressional nominee from the state of Florida. Let me welcome Pam Keith back to the show. Hey, Karen. Can you hear me okay? I can. You where? Where the hell are you out there in them streets? I I I am stuck in the in the seventh rung of hell that we call IKEA. Oh, why? Why would you? Why? Know, why wait, exactly. wait, why? wait, wait, hold on. Why did I mention Ikea furniture? Didn't know that you were at Ikea. This is some serendipity, I guess. So do, <laughs> are you buying furniture from Ikea? Yeah, you know, I'm moving into a new place. So I'm very excited about that. But, you know, moving is, is a joy and a, and, a, and a terror at the same time. And I, you know, caught myself trying to buy some big wardrobes to put on my stuff. Unfortunately, I have way more stuff than I need. And so you go to Ikea and it looks all good in the, in the catalog. It looks all good online. And then you go in the store and none of the stuff is in stock. Okay. So and, it's been a little and, bit of a, anyway, but that's now, not what your listeners want to no, know. No, they, they do. They, they want to know. <laughs> Here's what they want to know. They want to know, do you put together your own furniture or do you, uh, do, are you hiring? <laughs> I just met somebody uh, who has his, his company's called Honeydew List. And I was like, uh-huh. the Honeydew. Yes. The Honeydew List. And this brother can put together everything. Yeah, you know what? I typically, if it's big stuff like these big wardrobes, I'm, I'm going to have a professional do it because I don't want it falling apart. You know what yes. I'm saying? Yes. Like if you didn't invest in the thing in the first place, you might as well get it put together correctly. As you were saying just a moment ago about you don't want to skip any screws. You don't want to leave anything out. It's part of the process, right? So um, that's why I pay to have it done correctly if it's going to last. Now, if it's just a nightstand or whatever, there's some stuff I'll put together myself. I'm not totally helpless, but um, I definitely prefer to have a professional do the things that I intend to last. Well, I'm not helpless at all. I can put together all things, but I have no time. And my time is way (laughs) more valuable. And fortunately, I can hire somebody. Plus, people need the money. So. Hire the people, take back your time because there's no more of it, just like land. So keep your time and your frustration and uh, let's go. We got (laughs) things to do. Pam Keith, okay, so are you a beneficiary of of affirmative action? I'm going to have to say yes. I'm going to have to say yes, and probably so. Um, But I don't, affirmative action only gets your foot in the door. It doesn't get you through the classes. It doesn't get you, uh, it doesn't get you, you know, it doesn't get you um, jobs. It doesn't get you uh, clients. It doesn't get you wins in court. It doesn't get you court championships. It doesn't get you any of that. But but I would say that that I did benefit from it. Um, do I think that I was qualified? Yes. Was there somebody more qualified? Well, that depends on what you mean by qualification, right? Um, universities these days are not just looking for every single 4.0 GPA. They're looking for well-rounded classes. Employers are not just looking for all, you know, the person with the the most prestigious name on their university transcript. They're looking for someone that fits the job and fits the client and brings something to the corporation or the entity that it needs. 
And so we have this really formulaic idea, which is what the conservative justices are going to say, because they, in their mind, there's always a more qualified white man, period. <laughs> what they're not appreciating is that if you look at GPAs and, and SAT scores, the girls are kicking the boys' ass, right? So if they really want to play this game, they're going to get white men out of school, not into school. Just Ooh, FYI. Wait, what? <laughs> I agree yeah, with you. The, first of all, the, first the, of all, the, all wait, the performers are Asian women. Asian men and white women. And then you get, you know, black women and Latina women. The men are at the back of the list. I'm sorry, but if you really want to go like straight GPA, then all of our universities would be all female. And mostly Asian, which is the and other case. Asian. Which is and, the other and, case because the, even the test taking, you know, and I liken it to golf, women's golf, right? Women's golf is dominated by Koreans. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, and, and is it because they are more inclined? No, because they have a system of how to manufacture golf champions. They have they they've committed themselves to focusing on women's golf in particular and also men's golf. So KJ Choi, there's a bunch, but they have they've said we're going to master and they are fastidious with p- putting out a mill of people who will, you know, dominate in this area because it's a skill it's not necessarily a sport you don't really have to run i mean when john daly was rocking he was like 500 pounds and drunk most yeah. of the time so you I don't agree. have to you know so as you know, a, don't hate on me i'm not i'm not i don't hate on me because i agree with karen i think I think golf is a game and not a sport, but that's my opinion. I'm allowed to have it. No, you are. But the point I'm making is like that, the, the test taking, when you test in a, in a group and you have a system, like when we watch the spelling bee that is dominated by South Asia, you know, Asian uh, Indians, mostly what have you right now, because there's a whole system and also a support group. And there's a way, and it's not that, you know, anyone is more uh, genetically inclined to be smarter at spelling or taking tests or anything they have a system and all i'm saying last time you were here you dropped uh to me a mind-blowing you know it was mind-blowing to talk about lobbying and you know think tanks but those the reason why the republicans and i don't even want to call it republicans white national white nationalist white terrorism is winning is because it's a system and it's age old it's a foundational system in this country where there's a rubric of how to manufacture wins how to maintain power they've had to figure out how to make the laws bend and you know the three-fifths compromise and all this to stay in power oh let's let more people into this whiteness so that we can maintain power oh let's gerrymander and jerry rig so we can maintain power let's control and dominate local elections let's look at state houses instead of the senate and congress they have always been a step ahead because they they built the system all I'm saying is with this affirmative action, the folk that have mastered the system will be the ones, the ones that have the support group, Africans that, you know, the, the ones that come in with the system and they know how to master it will be the ones that are winning. And yes, it's going to backfire and I'm waiting for it. Well, you know, like I said, we're going to know a lot more about how things are going to shake out in 10 days, right? We'll know whether this country gets back on track or whether all of these punches to, to, to the democracy, the constitution and basic decency are going to be knockout punches. They're throwing as many haymakers as they can right now. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason they're throwing so many damn haymakers right now is because they know this is their last chance. If they don't win now, they will never get it back again. They know this. I know this, you know, this, 
demographics are not working in their favor. So if they, if they blow this, if this is it, if they can't consolidate the, the break, as you will, if you watch tennis at all, you know, the Republicans broke our serve. If they can't consolidate the break and we break back, then guess what? Everything that the Supreme Court's doing right now is not going to last, right? right? But if we lose this election, everything the Supreme Court is doing right now will last in perpetuity. Mm. And then what does that mean for the rest of us? Pam Keith is, is at Ikea, but she's here uh, all day. <laughs> She's, she's in the I did not intend to be at she, Ikea. I didn't intend to be here. Wait, wait, she's, at, she's at the place where you pick up your stuff because I see, I know where that is, where you go get the stuff to drag to your car because Ikea was one of the first to not ever give you a bag, right? So you didn't get any bags at Ikea, so you got to bring your car to the little area and, and pile your car up. I appreciate this. This uh, I've been to Ikea way too many times, so I appreciate your journey right now. As we move into um, a week and change from now, Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking for predictions because at this point it either is or it is not. You know, we had Reverend uh, Raphael Warnock on. I'm watching mm-hmm. Trevor Noah with his week long and I'm appreciating what he's doing with his show. Um, mm-hmm. You know, bringing it in Georgia. He's in Atlanta. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, there's a lot of attention. President Obama's making the rounds. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of races. I think you're right. But what will it mean? Because I was, I was processing it today. If mm-hmm. if election day there's no Stacey Abrams governor of of Georgia, all of the people from Charles Booker to you know Chris yeah. Jones, if, if everyone loses and and democracy think- and democracy's gone, right? Those are not the most important races in my book. I mean, okay. Stacey can lose and 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 Booker can lose and. And, and some others can lose and we can still save our democracy. We've got to retain control of the Senate and retain control of the House. That is what matters because it is the Senate and the House that's gonna be able to check the Supreme Court. See, right now there is an imbalance of power. Right. The Supreme Court is amok, right? It is, it is running and regulating completely disconnected from precedent and completely disconnected from answerability to the people. Because Mitch McConnell and his henchmen spent a decade building this court. And they were willing to pull up, put up with all of the inanities of Donald Trump because Donald Trump was able to get him the popular support to get their agenda into the Supreme Court and enshrine it in perpetuity. Mm. So what matters is retaining the Senate, retaining the House. Yes, I want Beto to win. I want Stacey to win. I want Charles Booker to win. I want Mandela Barnes to win. I want Deidre DeDeer to win. I want them all to win. Ain't no doubt about it. But. The survival of black people in this country is dependent on some white folks winning those congressional seats mm. okay. and those Senate seats. The, the, right. the, the future of black America is not dependent on Stacey Abrams as much as I love her. The future of black America is dependent on Tim Ryan in Ohio. Yes. Okay. You yes. need to understand that because House it's, it's in the straight Senate. numbers. Yeah. Right. It's a straight numbers game. It's a straight right. numbers game. If we retain the House and the Senate, we have the numbers to check that Supreme Court. Not only will they know that we can check them, uh, which will, will which will stay their hand a little bit, but there will be enough votes to kill that filibuster. There will be enough votes to expand the Supreme Court. There will be enough votes to make D.C. and Puerto Rico states, which completely changes the balance of the Senate. There are cascading effects of all of this. It means that all of the investigations of Donald Trump and all of his minions and all of these seditionists Republicans will carry on and go to fruition. If we lose the House, they cut off the budget for the DOJ. So they can impeach it. 
they want, but if they don't have the votes in the Senate, then the impeachment doesn't matter. Right. But cutting off the money to DOJ does. Cutting off the money to Ukraine does. Right. Right. Cutting off the money to the Department of Education, the Department of State, all of that, that matters. And the GOP, do not get it twisted. They will hold our country absolutely hostage if they hold those purse strings. Don't get it twisted. And there may be a Kevin McCarthy Speaker of the House. which They don't care about blowing up the good thing the good faith and credit of the United States of America. They don't give a damn. They will play chicken with our entire economy to get what they want, and they will not give a damn. So if you think that they were terrorists on January 6th, you haven't seen nothing yet. Mm. You have not seen anything. They couldn't do nothing on January 6th to truly break our economy. On November the 8th, they can. Whew. Okay. So, and I know why Hillary did that, because it is very disconcerting, because it's not just about, oh, well, you know, we've been here it's before. It's not even about Wait, abortion. What is, what, no, but I'm saying it's not even about, well, black people didn't have the vote until the 60s, so we've been, you know, disenfranchised before, and we were able to fight through it. But never have we been in a country where what you're talking about, civil war notwithstanding, where there are there will be a power structure that wants to literally undermine all democracy. That has never oh, been. It, it's, they've given up on democracy because they can't win through majority rule because they're not the majority anymore. Majority rule, rule, rule is very appealing to the majority. But they never thought of themselves as the minority. Now they think of themselves as the minority and they are ruthless in their minority status as they were ruthless in their majority status. More so. So you're you're missing it if you think this election is about abortion. I mean, yes, it is. But no, it's not. It's about democracy. Whether we live by majority rule or not. And if we don't live by majority rule, we're not really living by rule at all. We're living by violence and chaos. And you look at the way they responded to what happened to Nancy Pelosi's husband. That's what they want. That's why they're cheering. Let's let's talk talk about that. Talk about that for a second. Hold on. Talk about that because they discounted that this 81 year old man was hit in the head with a hammer, had to have surgery and they're making jokes about it. They're saying it was a hoax. They're bringing up Jesse Smollett. They're saying that that Nancy Pelosi's home was never invaded, that this person that was arrested with a manifesto. This is who they are. This is who they are. Because they, these are the same motherfuckers that believed that Sandy Hook was a hoax. But the thing is, they don't really care if it is or if it's not a hoax. They care that it hurts us to hear them say it. They know it's not a hoax. They don't care. They're, they, 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 it's, it, understand that they use words as weapons, different than you, you and I understand that concept, right? They use words as weapons in a transactional kind of way, meaning that they will utter it just to hurt you. They don't, there's not a micron of them that believes that what they're saying is true. It doesn't need to be true. It only needs to be effective. It only needs to be impactful, hurtful. Right. And you may have had some experience in your life with somebody said something to you for the express purpose of hurting you. They don't really care if it's true. They're not engaged in they're not trying to persuade you of anything. They're not trying to change your mind of anything. They're not trying to educate or engage in parlay. They're just trying to hurt you. That's the relationship we're in. We're in an abusive relationship with the GOP. Because all they want to do is hurt us. This is all payback for Obama. 
Wow. So aside from winning next week, meaning holding on to the House, gaining a seat or two in the Senate, and having control over Congress so that we can check the Supreme Court, let's plan 10 years ahead. You just mentioned a while ago that Mitch McConnell for a decade had a strategy. Is it a strategy that we can mirror? We can or... do better. Okay, can, that's what can, I want to know. That's what I want to know. Okay. Since he let's... wants to go like that, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Okay. All right. Turn your camera around so we can see your full face and uh, we'll take some calls right. as well. I'm going to get in my car okay. and I'm, I'm, I'll be quiet. So okay. I can, I can... All right. Yeah. You better, you know, somebody said I'm an atheist, but I had to say, amen, Lord, or Jesus yeah. Christ at the end of that, because, <laughs> you know, this is what we talked about before our churches being the the center of not just motivation, but convening and ideas being exchanged those quote-unquote evangelicals use their pastors in their churches to codify their messages of white terrorists and nationalism and that's the assignment jamal bryan i ain't getting into your personal background because i don't follow a man i follow a spirit and if it's true i chew up the meat and spit out everything that doesn't nourish me that's how i roll pam keith is here it's the karen hunter show we are back she is uh settled hi <laughs> Hey, hey, I have had the, the, the great uh, the benefit of, of being present for Brother Jamal's preaching on more than one occasion, and I am a fan of his preaching. He, has, he, can, he can put together a word, I will, I will say, so I have to say praise Jesus when I hear him say, speak that truth like he did just now. So, come yes, on. Uh, All right, come on. I'm going to ask that you run the audio that you had before, not the Bluetooth or whatever you got going now, because that was so much clearer okay. when you were outside. Uh, so while you, while you do that, let's go to the phones. Let's go to Milton in Virginia. He voted today, so I'm happy. Hi, Milton. How you doing, Miss Hunter? Awesome. Um, I spent, I spent 23 years in prison and God bless. Over 23 years. Wait, 23 um, years of your life. I'm going to ask you how old you are today. I'm 54 today. You spent most of your um, almost. Yes, yes, I got out. I got out when I was forty six. I went in when I was twenty three. So you spent half your life in jail, in prison. Yes, yes. And uh, and the whole time, all I did was study, um, and and work out, of course. <laughs> but um, what I called to say is that I had been waiting so I could vote. And our last Democratic governor, Governor Northam, the one that, you know, had the whole blackface thing, mm-hmm. he signed the papers to allow all individuals who had felonies to vote. All you have to do is just be out of jail or out of prison. You didn't have to, no matter what crime you had, you ain't got to go and petition and ask, you know what I'm saying, as long as you ain't in prison at the time. You can vote. And he gave me my rights back so I could vote. And and I voted in the past three elections. Wow. You know, and and uh, and I'm really glad that he did that. And I believe he did it on his own. He just signed the papers. And, and you know, saying I don't think it went through um, through the state legislature. But he was the one that did that. And that's what I called to say. Well, God bless you. And how does it feel, though? You know, to, to to be able to be reenfranchised, to 
to, you know, have a connection to your community and be able to cast a vote for the future of what's going to happen there? It feels great. It's just that um, sometimes it gets depressing when I realize how many others that that had never had that right taken away and have a voice. And when I tell them, um, have you went and voted yet? Have you went and voted yet? Individuals that I work with and they're lackadaisical and, and you know, I kind of get to feel like they're not even thinking about it. You know, I'm like, don't you realize that if you don't vote, you can't complain about what's going to happen. Do you realize what these people, you know, on the other side are trying to actually do? <sighs> Pam Keith, um, you know, thank you, Milton, and God bless you. Uh, yeah. For, yeah. When you hear a story like that, you know, which Milton is one of millions in Florida, you know, mm-hmm. where your, your governor, despite a ballot initiative to restore voting rights, has systematically chipped away at that and installed poll taxes and things to make it difficult for people to be franchised, to, to be able to have you know control over their destiny. What, how, do, how do you process that? I worked really, really hard on Amendment 4 with my friend Desmond Mead and, and many others. We went door knocking in the heat of August, getting people to support restoration of voting rights. And I told, Mil- I told Desmond the night that he, we won it, you know, because you have to win it by 60 something percent in Florida. You can't, it's not even majority. You need a super majority. And I told him that night, I said, Wilton, go to court right now and ask for a declaratory judgment. Ask the current Supreme Court to declare and prohibit the state legislature from stomping all over this because you know they're going to try. And they were like, no, we did the language. We did this. We did that. We know we're good. You know? mm-hmm. And of course, lo and behold, they did exactly what I predicted they were going to do. If, and at the time, we had a 3-2 majority of democratically appointed Supreme Court justices in the state of Florida. The next month, DeSantis got to kick off, got to replace one. It went from 3-2 Dem to 3-2 Republican, and it was over. That was it. We lost our opportunity. So now Amendment 4 is not what the paper it's written on for a lot of people because they can't even figure out what fees they owe, right, let alone pay them. So... DeSantis did a brilliant thing. I mean, a, you, you got to respect how good they play this game because wow. they know exactly what to do to stop the will of the people and they just do it. And we're stuck with it because we don't think in an aggressive, assertive, preemptive kind of way. We don't, we don't punch first. We let them punch us first. Yeah. And I, that's a Southern mentality, just generally speaking. I hate to say it, but it's very much my experience of Floridian thinking has been let them punch us first. And let's see if we can survive the punch. Mm, I just think so about it. Yeah. And to figure out how we survive and deal with and tolerate the punches. Yeah. And to me, t- that's a passive mentality. Yeah. And, ro- the- and rope-a-dope uh, might tire out your opponent, but it might give you brain damage in the process. Right. It, yeah. So does it mean that we're resilient people? Yes. Does it mean we're a strong people? Yes. Does it mean we find a way to survive? Yes. But are we thriving like we could be? No. No. Yeah. At what and cost? the people who are punching us are not deterred from punching, which right. is the bigger problem as far as I'm concerned. So let's, 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 let's sit there. Us, knock them the hell out. Yeah, I'm not waiting. I never wait. I've I, I always been a punch first. Uh, proverbially, of course. Punch yes. first person. Uh, I'm going to hit you so hard and that everyone, I'm going to do it publicly so that the people watching will know that that could happen 
verbally uh and then to make some i learned that early you know being a big kid like i'm going to destroy you verbally because you're not going to tease me for being big so let's go (laughs) no that said pam keith you were talking about mitch mcconnell and and the 10-year plan that he had after obama they wanted to make him a one-term president that didn't work but simultaneously they didn't just say one term we're just going to focus on the one term presidency we're going to make right. sure that he has no power so we're going to definitely so they came out in droves they focused on that midterm his first year and won and won mm-hmm. right um what's the counter strategy because we be, we have right. to think even if we win all of the things and when i say we i mean democracy and human beings if we win all of the things next tuesday what should be strategy today to deploy over the next 10 years Okay, so we need to shift from tactics to strategy, right? We have tactics, and all of our tactics are transactional. We always spend our energies on elections, right? And elections is the last step of a process. And we're hyper-focused on that last step, and we're also hyper-focused on the last step of the last step, which is giving money to candidates and, and putting ads on TV. What Mitch McConnell did was think much more incrementally, but also much more substantively. He started thinking about, okay, where's the real low-hanging fruit? Well, the low-hanging fruit is these state houses and these state legislatures, these municipal and county races. It doesn't take a lot of money to win them, run people, give them money and professional staff around them. Pick your people who are going to execute your agenda. This builds a bench. This builds people that can go into higher office and they remain loyal to a certain agenda. And so you now have control. So he started thinking about state and local offices, building a bench that way. Then it wasn't just him. I mean, prior to him, it was people like Karl Rove and others who started funding things like the Federalist Society. They started thinking, okay, well, what is our what is our plan? What is our strategy? And what is our policy? How do we how do we harness that? Then they started thinking about, okay, well, how do we harness the power of our churches and the white evangelists? So they started to build this thing called CPAC, right? Which is this sort of crossbreeding of extreme conservative evangelical ideology with politics. We've never intelligently connected the power of black churches to politics. We kind of do it in this sort of I'll pray for the right candidate at church on Sunday. But that's not what we're talking about here, right? You know, so what I what I have done and, and what I hope to do more of in, in the weeks and months to come is to start thinking about, okay, so what's our incremental strategy? So like first and foremost, somebody should write a uh, a curriculum for every Sunday school in America that 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 preaches to black children to teach them financial literacy and civics because they're not getting it in the classroom, right? And the civics that they are getting is not is not enriching them to understand power. They are understanding government. They are not understanding power. So every Sunday school in America should be teaching a curriculum written by black people about the empowerment of about empowerment of our community and financial literacy why do we not teach financial literacy to our children because god knows right white kids learn that we think that black kids learn that through osmosis no we learn it through bad credit i teach journalism i teach journalism at hunter college and i gave them a financial 101 uh this semester because i'm like raise your hand if you've ever heard any of this these are college students Never heard any of the things that I was breaking down from interest rates. To, I mean, it was it was right. stunning. You're absolutely right. You're every right. every Sunday school class ought to have a budget, a kitty, a bank account, 
and, and the kids should be running the bank account and have to balance the books and every single and they and they should start at the kindergarten level throughout high school. If you are in Sunday school, you have a budget and you have a bank account and you learn financial literacy that way. Every Sunday school class should have a mock election every time there's election so that we teach our kids. We get them in the habit of casting a ballot every two years or every year so that they know the difference between a municipal election, a state election, and a federal election. Most of our kids don't even know that. They just know that we vote for president every four years, and they and that's as much as they know. So we need to be so much more granularly strategic and building substance around our power, mm. right? Substance. We need to be building that. So we ought to have what I call the opposite of the Federalist Society. I would call it the Onyx Society. Every college campus, every graduate school in America should have a chapter of the Onyx Society. And the job of the Onyx Society is preparing Black people for positions of power. Not are they civic-minded like AKAs. Not are they fraternal like Freemasons. Are they ready for power? Every college University in America ought to have an Onyx Society chapter. You could be an AKA in an Onyx Society. You could be a, a, a Cap Alpha Psi in an Onyx Society. You could be a Link in an Onyx Society, but you need to have Onyx Society. Oh, and Onyx all right, Society pause. is all about power. Pause. Running for office, being in appointed offices, preparing your resume for that, being on, on boards, uh, of trustees and being on corporate boards. That is the purpose of Onyx Society. Come on, come on. 866-801-8255. Let's take Cynthia, who's in your backyard in Florida. Cynthia, welcome Hi. to the Karen to Show. You're hey. on with Pam Keith. I love this. Hey, Pam, I love it too. I, I, you were on fire, Pam, when I heard you before, and I felt a little ashamed because I've been kind of dis- disgusted with politics and I didn't give as much money as I always have. But just, just on what you just said, the person who has taken this court, this case to the Supreme Court to end affirmative action, he also has created a group that want to, to choose who's going to be in the boardrooms. And I forget the name of it, but I looked him up. But um, I've Talk if you want to you tell everybody. Everybody knows about you know Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. Nobody's talking about what the GOP has done to limit benefits to veterans, and and they they've, they've well, been in the cut for years. I went back and I've looked from like 2014. They wanted to cut food assistance, did that. They didn't want to expand their health care, their their educational benefits. There's a whole list of things I looked up earlier. So people need to stress this. They want these soldiers to go and die for us, but they don't want to take care of them when they're gone or mm-hmm. when they come back. So that yeah, has exactly. to be stressed. Excellent point. Yep. Could not agree more. You know, I'm a, I'm a Navy, former Navy JAG. I served overseas. I saw how many people had ended up with mental health issues, substance abuse issues, interfamilial issues, how desperately they've needed mental health counseling. Our entire process around veterans care is twisted because we consider veterans care domestic discretionary spending. It's not part of the military budget. So one of the things that I ran on was an idea of putting the VA under the the Department of Defense budget such that every time you go expeditionary with the military, you have to commensurately increase the VA budget. It's a literally uh, tied line item. Every time you create a soldier, you create a a pot of money at VA for that soldier so that you never send somebody off to war and then they have to beg for help on the backside, right? Mm. That's That's something 
something that absolutely can be done. Right? Let me, let VA me, as it's Go ahead. VA was created as its own department after World War II because they had so many soldiers, right? And they had the VA housing and the GI Bill and all these things. That, but this was meant to be an alternative to higher wages, right? It was meant to be an, a, a panacea for the sea of people who are now demanding, you know, now seen something, been somewhere, got some training and want some more. Right. But they didn't. But the what the VA's vision was at that time when healthcare was either cheap or non-existent is completely different than what VA is now. Right. With people living much longer, with much more intractable chronic illnesses and issues. Right. So now it's so much more money that has to be poured into preventative care and ongoing care. So you're not going to just drop some money on a veteran and walk away. That's just not how it's going to be. That's not realistic. You should be presuming that every time you put somebody in uniform, you're going to be taking care of that person for their duration. You need to think that way. Amen. Um, Cynthia also dropped Ed Blum, who we have to talk about because as I'm just cursory going over the time, Time Magazine piece and the Washington Post piece on this man. He brought the case. Remember the redheaded stepdaughter? Let me not say that. Uh, I apologize to all people who are redheads. The woman who challenged affirmative action, the white white woman, uh, he brought that case and they lost. But he didn't quit. Nope. <laughs> this is the other thing. You, He didn't get tired or deterred. He just waited. He waited a decade until the until the landscape changed. And now he's sitting in the catbird seat. Let's talk a little bit more about that. But before we do, got one more caller to get in before we go to break. Jeff in California. Hi, welcome. Hey, Karen. How are you? Awesome. Hey, great, great. You have some good people on. And I got to give you an ultimate compliment. People keep calling you a queen. You're a darn general. You know how to organize. You know how to strategize. And you know how to attack. All the right people are getting in the right place. Your time is here and it's coming even more. Thank you for taking my call. You have a nice day. Okay, thank you. I I consider myself more like the majority report where you can see things around corners and then you move things into place. But I appreciate that. You know, I I remember Tom Cruise was moving the stuff and then looking around and I see what's happening. But yes, all of that. And the right people, you know, more than anything are showing up because of uh, the time that we're in. So Pam Keith is part of this as well. We're, we're wondrously made for a time such as this. People are stepping in and they're hearing the call. Will you stick around a little bit? Just 10 more minutes, 15 more minutes. Okay, Pam Keith is sticking around because I got more questions. Pam Keith graciously gave us more time and she just uh, agreed to join Nubia. So we're going to be doing this Onyx. Man, I wrote it down. First of all, the curriculum for Sunday school, we already got it covered. I already know we got it covered in Nubia. I'm really happy as we move from taxes to strategy. But this Onyx Society is a game changer because it calls upon us differently. Yeah, but let me ask you this, Pam Keith. Pam Keith FL on the Twitters. Um, what does power look like? For, does power look the same for black people in America as it does for melanemic people? <laughs> um I don't know. I I I think that I, I, I yeah, I think I would say it has to. I mean there's there's a uniqueness. You know, I came to an epiphany 
when I was in South Africa about the power of, of Black people in America, which is so different than the power of South Africans, right? Because they're a, a, a minority, they're a majority, an overwhelming majority in their country, and they don't see themselves as Black, which was shocking to me, right? They see themselves as Kosa or Zulu or, or, or uh, colored or whatever, you know, there's a variety of different things. Uh, and they don't even speak the same languages. They don't have the same religion or culture. I mean, they're very... And, and I think that that makes it difficult for them, like being a black person going to South Africa, I'm looking at all these black people, it's like, well, why aren't y'all running regulating everything, right? And the sickness of white supremacy as a mentality is as sick there as it is here, but it, it takes a lot a little different parameters. But to help me to understand what a, what a gift our ancestors gave us. Right, because we're this ginormous country, 50 states, and from coast to coast, you go to Oakland, to Mattapan, Massachusetts, and you're gonna still see black folks eating the same things, talking about the same music, going through the same church experiences, going through the same college and university experiences. There are cultural ties and social ties that connect us as black people in America. And you black, whether you, this is just black. Blackness is black, right? And it, it's not just our ancestors that did this, the white people did this too, because it was their laws that made us black whether we wanted to be or not, right? One drop made you black, ergo you black, right? And and that, but there's something so precious about that and there's something incredibly empowering about that. And this is why there's been a Barack Obama of the United States when there has not been, you know, the same in, in England or some other countries that have, significant black populations why because we can galvanize a, a black political power base and because we can it is always under attack right it's white people fear our voting power and our political power more than anything on this planet uh you know more than COVID or anything else they fear black vote right because black vote is connected social culturally intellectually and for a purpose Right. And so that's why. And what they and what we have not leveraged, which we should leverage better, is that every state is run by its big city centers and every big city center is run by black people. That's that is where we're missing it. We're missing it because not enough of us are running for city council and PTA and county commission. And 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 we're not running for those roles as much as we could be and should be and could win because of the dominance that we have in urban centers, right? We're losing dominance in urban centers because we're allowing them to get gentrified and allowing them to gentrify in a way that truly dilutes our urban power. So we gotta rethink completely what our what my generation really embraced which was black people suburbanizing <laughs> right <laughs> Suburban was considered the way to be got there but nowadays we now understand that urban real estate is where it's at it's more valuable than suburban real estate right and even though you can have a mcmansion 45 minutes away from the city center the city center is really where the most valuable real estate is. That is where you really should be. Live a little smaller. It may be more expensive, but the concentration of Black people in a city is what gives it power. And if it's Chicago, Black people can run Chicago. Black people can run Houston or Dallas or Atlanta or whatever. And those cities run those states. You're not going to win Texas without Houston and Dallas. I don't know what you're talking about. You're not going to win Illinois without Chicago. I don't know what you're talking about. And so what happens is 
when we start to truly realize what we can accomplish through the concentration of our political power in urban centers and drive state policy that way, then we can really start to realize our potential at the federal level because we are way under batting. I mean, people say, yes, we, we have the CBC and yes, we have you know black opportunity districts and so forth, but we are batting way below our potential when you look at the Senate. You know, we got one uh, black senator, one black skin senator and, 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 and no black females. Like none, like that, that is, that is a travesty, right? Considering what we could do, mm. Mm. right? So that's why I am saying we need to think much, much more strategically about how we run as a community, right? Think about the interconnection between evangelical white churches across this country, how they preach the same stuff, how they're doing the same stuff. They go to these same conventions and they come up with strategies on how to maximize their minority power, right? And mm. they've done great success. But my thing is this, why aren't we thinking like that? We ought to have a council that's telling Black people where they should relocate, where they should move to have the yes. maximum power. Why should a whole bunch of Black people live in a, in a Southern state where they're never going to have any power when with, if 30% if, if of them moved one state over, they'd completely run that state? Yes, this is what I'm talking. I cannot wait. Okay, this is what I've been looking for. Now we have somebody that can actually get it done. Um, what do we say about a Supreme Court that today John Roberts um, stopped Congress from uh, having Trump release his taxes? It's and the same way, the same Supreme Court rejected Lindsey Graham's request to block a grand jury subpoena. So he's going to have to go and testify. The Supreme Court was like, nah, Lindsay, are they, are they, are they uh, giving up on Lindsay? The Lindsay's not important to them, but Trump is what, what does it say? It's, it's just totally disconnected from any kind of jurisprudential consistency or, or predictability, reliability or whatever. Right. Like it's just totally broken. Right. Okay. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a, a top with a, with that's supposed to spin on its, you know, spin until it stops. But if you took a chunk out of it, it would just go kind of a muck and flip all over the place. That's what the Supreme Court is now. It's just a muck and all over the place. Um, and I think that they, they're doing all of this now because they realize that if they, if the Democrats do pull this out, we have the will to expand that Supreme Court to 13 justices. We have the will. Does Biden have the courage? Not sure. I mean, okay. he's my president. He's my president. I voted for him. I supported him. I gave money. I knocked doors for him. But does he? But does he go gangster like that? Mm, haven't seen it yet. All right. I well, hope. We'll but but, I, but then again, will he veto it if it goes through the House and the Senate? Mm. See, that's a question, right? Would he do it himself? Probably not. But would he stop others from doing it if they have the votes? Not sure. That's why our X's and O's start are, is right now. So if you've already voted, God bless you. Spend the rest of this week finding somebody in your life who has not voted and make them vote. If you have not voted and you know you will go over hot coals to vote, wait until election day. We need a surge on election day because that's how Republicans beat us. Yes. They know how many people showed up 
and then they and they match that number through hook or by crook, right? Hmm. And they exceed it. So we need to surprise them on election day. If you can hold your fire, hold your fire. Surprise yeah. these MFs. Yes, yes, we love to, to surprise the MFs. Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. I want to take another caller, and then we're gonna dip out and go to another break. Lisa in Virginia has been holding on. Hi, Lisa. Welcome. You're on with Pam Keith. Hi, Karen and Pam. Oh my God, it's such an honor to speak with you. God bless you and all that you do uh, for us. First and foremost, um, Karen and and Miss Keith, you're you're dropping all those nuggets, and I'm taking it all in. And I'm actually was like here. Tag me in, tag me in. So I, I went out to vote. I'm in Virginia. I went to vote yesterday. I, I also took along my mother. Uh, so we got that done. And I also um, encourage people on my social media. And if I can read, it's a very powerful read. It's less than 30 seconds because I want to let the people know who don't vote. And I'm talking to those people. Is it okay, Miss Karen? Is it okay? I, that's Pam, is it okay? <laughs> Absolutely. You're the lawyer. You're the lawyer. Go Wait. ahead. Yes. Wait. I said to I said I said vote, vote, vote. It's on my Facebook. I said let me say this to the people who don't vote. I've heard all kinds of reasons as to why you don't vote. The bottom line is by not doing so, you as an American citizen who are given this powerful privilege have the unmitigated gall to sit there and think your voice, your vote don't matter. It's absolutely absurd. How dare you sit there and not vote? People have died in order in order for us to vote. People have died in order for us to have civil rights and much more. Our ancestors did it for us. Many died for our right to vote. How dare you sit and do nothing? Your vote, your voice is powerful. Why do you think they're trying to silence you? Think, think, think. Vote for yourself your, and, your, and the future of your family because if you don't vote, your future is in jeopardy. Trust and believe that. Have a blessed day and go vote November 8th or now. All right. Listen, I'm not mad at that uh, at all. Thank you for sharing. Um, I just know this, the finger wagging is not working with the people who are not inclined to vote. We got to have relationships and relationships that are strong enough where people respect our, our views on things and want to have uh, deep, meaningful conversations or at least the kind of relationship that will motivate people to do just telling people to vote because somebody died is falling on deaf ears, unfortunately, in this time. But I'm not mad at that's, that message. That's a, that, that's a bigger problem. Right? It's that right. sense of disconnection and the sense of, of resentment. So I always think that there are only really two major sins, although there are a lot of sins out there. There's really only two. There's greed and then there's, you know, and greed is ultimately a form of selfishness, right? The greatest sin is selfishness. It's the incapacity to connect to others, to empathize with others, to act on behalf of others, to to think collectively. It's an incapacity. And so when I hear the people that are saying, well, I'm not going to vote because I don't feel X, Y, and Z about PD and Q, what they're saying to me is I am in a selfish place right now, right? I'm in a self, I'm in a me space. And because me isn't satisfied, I'm not going to vote. And nothing you say can make me vote because I don't care enough about you for your words to move me, mm. right? And that's, and that's, okay right because we live in an america right now that has weaponized the i don't care about you as something of virtue right that's the entire trump movement 
has been about the what I that's why I call him the Antichrist, because what he's done is he said all of the vices are virtues and all of the virtues are vices. And he has weaponized and put on steroids that I don't care about you. That's now a good thing. But those of us who hearken back to what we were raised with and what we believe is best for this world and for this craze for this country and for our future those of us who still believe in our children and want them to be, do well can't embrace that i don't care about you we can't embrace that we have to reject that we have to say with everything that we do i am not buying into your i don't care about you because i don't need you to care about me for me to care about you why you. because it makes me better to care about you. It makes me happier to care about you. It makes me more successful to care about you. It makes me more elevated in the best form of myself to care about you. No matter how much you embrace, I don't care about you. I don't care how much, if you're Kyrie Irving talking about, I don't care about the Jews, you're gay. I don't care about this people. I don't care about so-and-so. I don't care about the gays. I don't care about the poor. I don't care about uh, Ukraine. I don't care about the Russians. I don't care. If you're finding yourself in the space where 80% out of your mouth is, I don't care about dot, 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 then you are broken. You are broken. And I don't think a broken person can ever truly succeed. Whoo. All right. Listen, um, We'll see you back here, of course, but we'll also see you in the Nubian streets, sister. And I appreciate uh, you taking time out of your IKEA shopping to spend some time with us today. Uh, I wasn't supposed to be here, but you know it's IKEA. Yes, yes, it's a black hole uh, or a white hole you get sucked into and can't get out. But I appreciate you, Pam Keith. Uh, Follow her at Pam Keith FL. She'll be Pam Keith in, in Nubia as well. So thank you, thank you, love you. 